Hey, it's me, Alicia, the host of the Real Talk podcast. I know what you're thinking. Holy cow, you're alive? Where have you been? And the answer is, why, yes, yes, we are alive. And where have we been? Oh, man, how do I even begin to explain that one? When we started this podcast, our goal was to help show the world what it's really like to work in healthcare, not just the TV version or the blood and guts and glory stories you may have heard here and there, but the real stuff. And the truth is, these past few years have been rough. In the fall of 2020, smack dab in the middle of early COVID, Marco and I picked up and moved our life to a new city because I got a job as the medical director of an emergency department. Explaining what that is like is probably something I won't be able to put into words for a while, but what I can tell you is it's been gnarly. Between healthcare worker shortages and the stresses of COVID surges, dealing with all the politics and drama that surrounds some of this stuff, and being at the receiving end of the general frustration and burnout felt by all of humanity as they come through the ER, it's, uh, exhausting. So we had to take a step back and do a little self-care. And that meant putting our microphone and our recording equipment to the side for a while so that we could focus our energy on the many needs of my home ED and our local community. It'll probably be a minute before we're able to jump fully back into our regular episodes, but with Valentine's Day here and red hearts plastered all over all the store windows, we realized we had to come out of our COVID cave, at least for a moment, to share a story with you that we had not had the chance to finish before. Actually, a collection of stories about one of the most important kinds of love there is. True, genuine, fully unconditional love for yourself. Hopefully you remember that we've been doing a series with the Enterprise Resource Groups here at Vituity, working to amplify stories from the diverse community of healthcare workers that we are so proud to work alongside. Well, each year in October is National Coming Out Day, a time for members of the LGBTQ plus community to celebrate and honor the bravery that it takes to share who you are, the whole you, with the world even knowing that it may not all be sunshine and smiles. This past October, three members of our Vituity family were brave enough to share their own coming out stories with us. And now we are going to take this moment, this Valentine's Day, to honor that courage, that self-love, and to share this finally finished episode with you. This is Real Talk Unplugged. Hi, I'm Jed Boldazar, and I'm a project manager with Vituity, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where healthcare professionals share stories about the human experiences that have shaped and affected their careers working in medicine. Today, we're going to do something a little different. So this is Crystal. My name is Mark White. My name is Alexandria. We are opening the floor to several folks to share their very personal stories and perspectives on what it means to come out. After June, October is a big month for the LGBTQ community. Not only is it our history month, but it is also home to National Coming Out Day. Before we continue, 
I wanted to define what the term coming out means. The human rights campaign defines coming out as the process in which a person first acknowledges, accepts, and appreciates their sexual orientation or gender identity and begins to share that with others. Now, this is the definition, but when we really talk about coming out, it can't really be defined so simply. The term itself and the experience can carry different weight, meaning, and memories for each member of the LGBTQ community. As these stories remind us, each coming out story is unique and incredibly personal. Acknowledging National Coming Out Day on October 11th can be a pleasant or painful reminder, or both at the same time, of this experience that is really only shared by those who identify as LGBTQ. Not all coming out stories are the same. I have to consider myself one of the lucky ones because my coming out as a lesbian woman was met with support and acceptance from my friends and family. I really wish this didn't mean I was lucky. I wish this was everyone's experience, but unfortunately, I know far too well it's not. I am all too familiar with the stories of people who are disowned by their family, laughed at by their friends, or those who had no control over their own coming out experience because they were outed by someone else. Today, we have the opportunity to broaden our perspective of what it means to come out thanks to several courageous volunteers from the Vituity Alliance for LGBTQ Opportunities and Resources, or VALOR for short. You will hear some similarities, but also big differences. But one theme remains consistent amongst the individuals. We are all humans who want to be accepted for who we are. These are our stories. Oh man, Alicia, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to listen to me ramble. Um, so this is Crystal and I'm going to be recording my real talk answers. Uh, I feel kind of cool. Uh, it feels weird though. So I'm just going to pretend like I'm talking to you and hopefully that works. Okay. So uh, what's your name and pronouns? What do you do at Vituity? Um, my name is Crystal. Um, I use she, her pronouns and I'm a hospitalist. And I'm one of the co-leads for Valor ERG. How do I identify? I guess the short answer is I'm not straight or I'm not exclusively heterosexual. I wrote a blog post about this earlier this year, but essentially I kind of just see myself as a human person and there are some people I'm attracted to and I'm kind of open to that and comfortable with it, but I don't really feel like any of the specific letters fully express or encapsulate kind of how I think about myself and how I relate to other people, whether it be romantically or not. Well, my name is Mark White. I am a IT director for service delivery. I've been at the company around 13 years. I go by he, him, and I identify as gay. Hi, thank you for having me on Real Talk. Um, my name is Alexandria. I do go by Alex. Uh, the pronouns I use are female, so she and her. Um, authentically, I identify as gender neutral and pansexual. 
Um, and I say that because to cishet crowds, I usually identify as bisexual just because I get tired of explaining myself and being tasked with the burden and job of like educating them. Um, as far as my gender expression, I'm still exploring that. Um, there's a lot of oppression that I'm still fighting and limitations that I'm trying to unlearn. Even though I do identify as gender neutral, I don't entirely feel comfortable telling people that unless they're really close to me because I present as female and very feminine at that. So it confuses people and it tends to open the door for a lot of questions that I don't quite feel comfortable answering yet. Um, how much time passed between knowing and coming out? Why? Who did you first tell? What was their reaction? Oh, geez. Um, I don't like math. I don't want to do the math. I'm 38. Um, I knew since I was in high school that I wasn't straight, that that was something different about me, but that I was um, attracted to men. Uh, but I grew up in the South, and so my, my dad's uh, from the Caribbean, and I was in Catholic school, and so, like, kind of expressing that or acknowledging that or doing anything in regards, like, I had no clue. Um, there was no point of reference. There was no one to talk to, so I just kind of didn't deal with that, even though I knew it was chief for myself. And then I kind of went through life and went to college and got married and had a baby, and eventually that relationship with uh, my son's dad kind of came to an end, and we got divorced in 2017. And that's when I kind of I was like, hey, let me maybe try to explore this part of myself that I've basically been ignoring for the majority of my adult life. So who did I first tell? Uh, I think I dropped a lot of hints with some of my friends in medical school and residency, just like casual statements. I can't remember any specifically, but um, when I told them after I got divorced, you know, oh, you know, I'm seeing this girl or whatever. I, I wouldn't say I came out and I was like, I'm not straight. I just would tell them about my life and it was sort of implied and they were fine with it. Um, but I was a little bit hesitant with them. I think they're the ones I told first. It, it, I don't, it was reassuring to know that they were like good friends and that they were fine with me as I was. I've come out to my parents. It was not a pleasant experience. I can also say in hindsight, I did not pick the best way to communicate this. It kind of blindsided them. They reacted poorly, to say the least. But uh, yeah, so I've been, I don't know, divorced for like maybe six months a year, somewhere there, I can't remember. And then I had the unfortunate event of rupturing my Achilles. And I was seeing this girl at the time and I really liked her. And I was like, hey, why don't you come uh, with me and my parents when I get surgery and you can chat with them. And then at the end, I can be like, do you like her? She's the person I'm dating. In my head, this sounded like a great idea. It was a terrible idea. Um, it did not go well at all. kind of ended with uh, me and my parents not talking to each other for like six months. And as an only child, that's very isolating to say the least, especially as like a new single parent. I had a conversation with them later. It at least made it so that we could communicate like on a functional level. My dad was just very flat out, like, I don't want to have anything to do with that part of your life. That was hard. That was very hard. 
over like the next couple of years, my mom uh, would kind of call and be like, so how's it going? What are you doing? And I could tell she kind of wanted more like a closer relationship with me. Um, but I wasn't really feeling that at the time. But eventually I just kind of had to talk with her about it. I was like, it's clear you want to have a close relationship, but if you want to do that, you're going to have to kind of realize I'm an adult and have to respect some of my choices, even if you don't understand or disagree, but you can't, you can't have both. And so we've been working on that and we're a lot closer now. So for that, I'm grateful. For me, knowing took a really long time. Um, I was very, very good at suppressing any kind of feelings or questioning myself in any way. So I was a confused person till I was 31. And at that point, I came out to my family at a family reunion. So they all knew it one shot. Um, part of the suppression was, of course, I was Marine Corps for six years. I was raised as a Mormon. And then I was living in a very rural area. So those are three big suppressing things in your life, um, especially if you're not exposed to any kind of LGBT community at all. Pretty much most of my first 25 to 30 years. And if you were, it was in a bad way. It was something people talked about in a bad way. I would say that I started to have a strong indication that I wasn't heterosexual around 10 to 11 years old, but there was a lot of shame and confusion surrounding that because in the framework of my environment, I interpreted this aspect of me as wrong and defective, and I often thought I'm not normal. So I didn't really put a label on it like, you know, I didn't know that I identified as, you know, bisexual or that I didn't feel completely cisgender, I didn't feel completely like a woman. I didn't really know how to frame that in my mind other than that I was different. And unfortunately, in my mind at that age, it was that I was wrong, that there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't normal. So it's something that I hid and kept to myself for a while. Um, and I ended up coming out in high school, but this was mostly because I was in a same-sex relationship. I had a prying older sister who essentially pressured me into coming out, even though it was ultimately my choice to come out to her. There was a lot of questions and about my closeness with this person who I was dating that to everybody else was just a close friend. Um, so I did come out to her, and she was the first and only person that I told in my family. Her reaction was confusing to me because she didn't approve or disapprove or really give any opinion on the matter. She just said, I love you no matter what, um, which made me feel like she was loving me in spite of this defect in me or in spite of something. You know, it was like, I love you, but is kind of the feeling that I got. So it didn't, it didn't feel very supportive. And I remember kind of like looking for more reassurance and asking her like, well, do you think that's wrong? And I would get a lot of vague answers like, well, if it feels right to you, you know, and so it, it was just hard for me to, to get that kind of reaction. And shortly after that, she did, you know, out me to a lot of people that we went to school with and friends. And so after that experience, I became very fearful of coming out. Um, and so I didn't. As far as my family, I told my sister she was the first person. And then unbeknownst to me, she told my mom 
My mom then told my grandmother, my grandmother told my grandfather as well as my dad, and then my grandmother also told my partner's parents at the time. So within a relatively short period, a lot of people found out, but not by my choice. Um, so unfortunately, I, I didn't really have a coming out. I had a an outing out, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, that was a really hard time for me. Uh, I pretty much had flat out rejection from my father. Um, and I took a lot of brutal hits to my self-esteem and my sense of acceptance and belonging in those years, which, of course, in teenage years, as most of us know, that's the time that we need it the most. Tell us about a time where your LGBTQ plus bubble was popped and you were not accepted. Oh, I guess coming out to my parents, it was it was traumatic. I don't know how else to describe being like post-surgery, still high on anesthetic, having this like idea that you're going to like share this important thing with your parents that just completely goes sideways, like yelling, screaming at me, calling me like terrible names. It, and like in my own house it, with my son there, it was, it was a lot. I, I basically had to ask my parents to leave the next day. I was like, I can't have you here. It's too distressing for me. I'd rather hobble around my house. <laughs> without help than have them there. So that was um, probably the biggest time my bubble popped because it was the most meaningful relationship I had at the time. And, and still to this day, that kind of rejection was just hard to deal with. This happens a lot um, or else you're prepared for it, especially since I like to travel internationally. You would go to certain places um, and then you would have to be concerned about acting certain ways. So if I went to like London, no big deal. If I go to Paris, no big deal. Um, if I was going to maybe some more rural countries, I might be more concerned. Asia, I was certainly more concerned to go certain places there did not be as open. Like Vietnam was known that you could be targeted there. So we were very careful about um, being open there. We went out one late night and something happened that was, I'd heard about happening to um, to a gay men there. So, um, so I avoided that situation, but it was definitely a worry. And I certainly won't go to any kind of Middle Eastern countries or um, any place where I think I might feel threatened or places I don't want to spend money on. I don't go to a lot of places in the South I just won't go to because just how they are. I don't want to give them any kind of money or any kind of support from me. So I guess bubble popped, it can get popped all the time. So there's no really specific time, I guess. It just can happen. I mean, it's happened more than once for sure, but... This is the time that always sticks out to me the most because I guess it had the most profound effect on me. It was during the 2008 Prop 8 rallies. I had uh, my partner and I at the time, same partner from high school. We had gone to a couple of anti-Prop 8 rallies and we had some anti-Prop 8 slogans on our car window. And some people had pulled up next to my partner and I in our car and they just started to taunt us and, you know, say really hateful, nasty things to us. And, you know, we're coming out of the window and waving their arms around. And we were young. We were only 18 at the time. So we were just really fearful, really anxious. And, you know, we were afraid of them following us or enacting any kind of like physical violence against us, which thankfully didn't happen. But um, it was a pretty scary time. What are your favorite things about being a part of the LGBTQ plus community? I guess the thing I 
personally kind of like the come as you are, you belong here atmosphere, vibe, attitude, mind, whatever you want to call it. Kind of respecting that like none of us are perfect, but we're like trying to be ourselves and the best version of ourselves and that it's a journey and that kind of however you're showing up, wherever you are in that process, that that is that that is perfectly fine. It's welcome. It's okay. It doesn't mean everything is perfect even within the community or that that is always the case. But I feel like that's the overarching goal to be welcoming and supportive of everybody. And I feel that in a way that is less judgmental than in some other groups or communities. My favorite things is the feeling of belonging, to feel that you are with somebody that can understand how you feel because it's, I think in many ways, it's hard to understand what it's like for us um, unless you're part of that community. And it's like the chosen family. So the big thing is, I know a lot of people in the community that are older, they were kicked out by their family. They didn't have family. So you chose your family, you picked your own family, and that was, you're closer to them than your biological family. Um, luckily, I have, I'm, I'm lucky in both cases because I have a really close family, biological family, and I have a really close um, gay family that friends that you would do things for that you would do for your your direct family. Like moving to San Francisco was the ideal I suppressed for so long, but I want to go someplace where I don't ever have to worry about being like that. Um, Let's see. On a positive note, I will say that some of my favorite things about being a part of the LGBTQ community is feeling like I have a family where I'm loved for my authentic self. I've never felt that within my family. I've always felt like an outcast, a black sheep, um, you know, somebody that they love because I'm family, but not a person that they love completely unconditionally just as I am. So I love that I can feel like that within my own community. And it's nice not to feel alone or isolated or unloved because with my experience of, you know, just coming from a very unsupportive family, it's been really difficult. It's been really hard to find a lot of positivity in how I identify and who I am. And I'm able to find that within my community. And I'm definitely able to find that in the Valor group. And I'm very grateful for that. The truth is that there is no one way to come out or to be out. And it is not a requirement for anyone. There may be certain people in our lives with whom we want to share our sexual orientation and or gender identity with. And there may be others with whom we know that we don't feel comfortable or safe sharing. Whatever the case may be, it is important to recognize that the decision is up to each individual person. No one else should be sharing their knowledge and or assumptions with anyone. The Human Rights Campaign talks about this concept of inviting in versus coming out. Coming out could mean that people who don't identify as cisgender or heterosexual are hiding something from society versus the idea of inviting in where the LGBTQ individual chooses to invite you into their life and you are able to see them for their true self. I really love this concept. Now, imagine a future 
when people won't need to come out or justify their identity, regardless of their sexual orientation, gender, community, or origin. A future where people didn't have to worry about their personal safety for just being their whole selves. A world where we are treated equally for our full human experience. For a lot of people, learning that someone they know and care about is LGBTQ can open a range of emotions, from confused to concerned, awkward to honored. It may be hard to know how to react, what to say, or how you can best be supportive. The Human Rights Campaign and The Trevor Project have both put together guides that cover everything from identity to what to do if someone comes out to you and how to best show your support. Educating yourself is the first step to becoming a supportive ally. There are 16 million LGBTQ people in the United States, of which at least 2 million are teenagers and at least 2 million are transgender or non-binary. It is impossible to characterize the lives of any one letter in our alphabet soup. We cannot say all lesbians like X or all non-binary people hate Y. So I challenge you to let go of any assumptions you might have, any bias you might be carrying, and provide the people in your life the space to tell you their own story instead of creating one for them. Thank you to Mark, Crystal, and Alex for sharing your stories with us, to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Jen, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Start at realtalk.transistor.fm, or you can follow the link in the show notes for this episode.